Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this episode, we have J.J. Reimer. Uh, J.J. is currently the hitting coach um, at the University of Northern Iowa. Um, he's been there for three years now. And in this episode, we, we kind of get into not just how he goes about working with his players on, on his team, but just the softball game um, in general. And J.J. gets into detail about why he decided to coach softball instead of baseball um, in this episode as well. We also go over you know the mental game, um, how to make practice more competitive, um, why using journals and writing things down could be so beneficial to um, helping hitters out so they can kind of go back and see what they were thinking or feeling at an earlier date. And it's again, it's just it's another great, um, great talk with with another bright hitting mind. Uh, I've been following JJ online for for some time now, and I've had I've had a chance to talk to him on a couple of different occasions. And I think um, everyone listening will will get a great uh, great amount of joy just listening to him and his uh, passion for the game. Um, if you haven't already, uh, be, it would be greatly appreciated if you would go, head on over and, and subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes. Um, it really helps the overall rating of the show. It helps more coaches, more players um, find the show, learn about it, and so they can develop um, at their own pace and they can um, take their game, whether it be um, as a coach or a player, to that next level. So without further ado, here is J.J. Reiner. All right, JJ, we are now live. Um, appreciate you coming on. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, just giving a, give everyone a little bit of background on, on you and kind of how you got to where you're at right now. Well, um, JJ Reimer, I coach at the University of Northern Iowa softball team. Um, when I started, it was all about baseball. I was playing baseball. I went to Ellsworth Community College in Iowa. After that, I went over to Western Illinois for two years and finished out my career there. Um, when I was done, it was actually more of, I didn't really want to get into coaching. I was kind of ready to take some time off. I went into personal training, did that for a while until a facility in my hometown opened. And, and that kind of gave me the itch to get into coaching. I was coaching young kids and, and I loved it. I was enjoying every minute of it. And then when my, um, Ryan Jacobs, the head coach at UNI, I saw that he had an opening um, he's been my hitting coach for since I was a little kid. So I, I kind of texted him and I jokingly, I said, where do I, where do I apply? And end of the story was I ended up applying and getting the job and, and three years later, I'm still here and I'm loving every minute of it. So it's been an interesting ride so far. And, you know, with softball background, like I watched my sister play at the university of Northern Iowa. So I, I was very familiar with the game. Um, and to me, it was always watching and seeing like how little difference there really is between the two games, um, size of the field, the size of the ball. And instead of overhand, the pitchers are thrown underhand. But other than that, you know, the games are very similar and, and there's not much difference that goes into the mechanics of each game. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess that's one of the first things I, I, what I was going to ask about is, is there any different ways that you train hitters in softball versus baseball? Um, we just use a skinnier bat, a lighter bat, and then a bigger ball when we hit. I would say that that's kind of the difference for us. But since, I mean, like for softball, since it's, it is underhand, the ball rises more, right? Yeah. Um, rises, it, it's 
I always compare it to the high fastball in, in baseball. Um, so we do see a negative descent angle as it's crossing the plate with a rise ball. Um, but just because it's coming from a lower slot, it makes it a little bit harder to see. It's kind of like a, you know, a sidearm or a guy who's throwing from, from down low and he's throwing a high fastball. It comes at you and it looks like it's rising for a long time. So to be able to basically guess where it's going to be is a little bit trickier. And that's why the rise ball is so effective in softball. What's the spin rate um, for a pitcher in softball? That I, I'm unsure of right now. So we got the rap Soto and, and I dove in deep to the the hitting aspect with Robin Lund, who was our volunteer at the time. Um, and this next couple of years is my, my goal is to dive a little bit more into pitching and kind of learning more about that side. But I knew I had a lot to learn on the hitting. So I, I haven't gotten a chance to dive into the, the softball and the spin rates of, of them, but yeah, I know there's a lot of guys out there that are doing a ton of stuff um, with softball pitching. You know, the coaches there that are really pushing that forward. So I got to reach out to to the men and women that are doing a really good job there and start to, to dive into that. What have you noticed um, on the hitting side of, of using Rap Soto to track your hitters? I think I think for us, it's been a really good tool because it's something that our kids are familiar with. Um, our players, you know, at this age are, are technology driven in all aspects of their life. Um, so to be able to basically get instant feedback is, is what they get in everyday life in all aspects of life. So to add that into our training tool is something that it gives the players answers a lot faster than waiting for the games to play, waiting for the games to come. Um, you can really get a line of how are you developing as a player? Um, I can see that my exit speed is lower than, you know, some of the people that have the most success on our team. You know, my launch angle, I'm hitting on the ground a lot or I'm elevating it too much. And and they really get those hard numbers that tell them, okay, this is what I need to do to improve. And then we use that information and develop a system and a, a training model for whatever they need and their weaknesses. And I think that's the, the biggest thing that we're using Rapsodo for is is to aid in our training and not really let it take over our training. What is the most important or the metric that you like to look at uh, the most on Rapsodo outside of exit velocity? Oh, outside of well, the one I always like at is distance. Like, how far are you hitting it? Um, but I think the one that I I look at the most is when you're hitting your hardest balls. At what launch angle are you hitting those? So we'll take your your top 10% of your exit speed, and then we'll figure out what launch angle are you hitting those at. Um, are you someone who's in that 20 to 30 range in your hardest hit balls, or are you someone who's 0 to 10? So are you hitting your hardest balls on the ground, or are you hitting your hardest balls in the air? And I think that's the one we use the most. I was, I'm looking at um, some of the stuff you've been putting out lately on Twitter and um, it, it looks like uh, a ball's hit over 210 this preseason. Lowest launch angle was 20.3. Highest was 44.5. Um, in terms of where would you where would you want those players? Like if, if I had a player who was uh, 35 to that 44.5, where would you want would you want them aiming for that consistently? Our goal that we tell our kids is 10 to 30. Um, and then within that, you know, your harder kids, your kids that hit a little bit harder, your power swingers. In softball, the nice thing is you can have a little bit more 
um, room for error with the smaller fields. So, you know, 25 to 35 is where we like our kids with power numbers, with the higher exit velocities. You know, those are going to be able to go out of the ballpark at all launch angles if they're if they're hitting it as hard as they can. Um, and then some of the kids that don't quite hit it as hard, they make contact a little bit more. Those are going to be more down in the 25 to 15 range where we know they're going to be able to get it up and over the infield and hopefully split a gap and hit a double. So when we're looking at it, we're really diving into like, what does this player do and what does she do well? And then developing kind of their range of metrics into that system. How do you relate those metrics to the player? Well, something we're doing this year is is a little bit different. So the way I explain it to them is, is the best um, the best compliment you can get as a softball player is, is when someone says about you, like, I don't know, that girl just hits, right? So when someone's like, I don't know how she does it, she just hits and she hits everything. Um, I broke that down and I was like, okay, what, what does that compliment mean? And I think the best hitters – when they swing, they make contact. Um, when they're making contact, they're getting their best swing off. When they get their best swing off, they hit the ball hard. And then when they hit the ball hard, they elevate the ball. So the way we, we did this preseason was we created the, the karate band system. So we have a randomizer machine in our facility and we use it all the time. And we say that we want to, we want our girls to be making contact 60% of the time. So when they swing, are you putting the ball in place 60% of the time? So if you're over the 60, you get a white belt, which we use wristband, so you get a, a wristband. And then I take those 60% balls that are made contact, and then I figure out, okay, of that, how many times did you get your best swing off? Um, for that, we use rotational acceleration and bat speed. And if you get your A swing off half of those balls that you hit, then you get the next band. And that'll be, I think it's a, a blue belt. And then I take all those A swings and I look at the exit velocity of those balls. And were they within your top 15% according to your uh, max exit velocity? If you're at 50% there, you get the red band. And then of those 15% exit velocity balls, are you in the 10 to 30 range? If you're in the 10 to 30 range, we give you the black belt. So those numbers are posted every single day. What are you at right now for contact percentage? What's your A swings? What's your exit velocity? And then are you elevating those balls? Because to me, the best hitters, they hit the ball, they hit the ball hard, and when they hit the ball hard, they put it in the air. That's pretty cool. I, I, like, that, uh, I like that system of the, of the different belts and things like that. Um, I, think it's, I think that's uh, cool because anytime you can kind of – players, maybe they think of it as a reward or something. I mean, it doesn't even have to be anything fancy, but when they just receive something or – um, have some sort of a, a goal in mind that they're going to receive something. It kind of, it, it makes the environment pretty competitive. Oh, it's been super competitive. And for me, that was what I really wanted to add in this year alongside with the analytics and the data was how do we make every single time we're in the facility as competitive as possible? Um, and for us, like, obviously there's no results, you know, no fans watching you and you're not really being judged by statistics um, or eyeballs at that point, but really we got to put something on the line. So when we had this kind of tier system, the competitiveness just shot through the roof. And that was something that we were trying to replicate every single day was we train at game speed 
every single day and and it's a challenge every single day but we also have to have the mind and the mental capacity to be able to do it when we step on the field so we have to replicate not only game speed but game mentality every single time we're practicing so that's what i think it instilled more than anything was like every time you step into the facility like you know something's on the line and and you see the people that are black belts and you see the people who are white belts and you're trying to do whatever you can to to reach the highest level very cool um how how do you guys um i should not guys but how do you you being a guy but everyone else being girls um talk about and teach the mental game the mental part of hitting um right now we do basically one session a week in the facility um just going having a meeting and for me obviously the thing that i always talk about is swinging fearlessly um so i break that down for our players and and basically to be fearless is to believe in your preparation that you've done and i think that's the biggest thing is the way we train the way we challenge you how fast we're practicing um is get preparing you for any situation you're going to see in the game. And that's why when you come to our facility, like you won't see a ton of front toss. You won't see a bunch of time spent on the tee right now because we're trying to get you ready for any situation you might see. Um, but with that is you got to make sure that, you know, anxiety about results is, is a good thing. It means you care. It means you care about the game. But when you, you feel like you're struggling with your own preparation and your, the confidence in your ability – that's when what we really want to focus on is like the confidence in your own ability and what you can do and what you have done to prepare you for bottom of the seven, two outs with a runner on second base and we're down by one. We don't want you to fear the situation. We want you to go in there and basically be have a fearless mentality about yourself and the confidence in yourself and being able to do this what the situation calls for whether that's a fly ball deep or a home run to walk it off or a base hit to be able to move the runner around like we want you to be able to believe that you can you can succeed in that um so we work on that we give them different videos um tell them that really like you're gonna fail and it's okay like we're gonna you're gonna strike out you're gonna ground out you're gonna line out you're gonna do everything right and get out and that's okay because that's our game and that's what happens. And the first thing you have to do is accept failure. And once you can accept failure, then you can succeed because then you can grow from your failure failures. What about um, meditation? We haven't done a ton of that. Um, I used to do that with uh, Ryan Brownlee. He was, he was a big believer in meditation and visualization. And we did it before every single game and and we would do yoga once a week during the off season and the preseason. And it was something that, that I think as a player, you don't really see the benefits of it, but until you really get into the, the good visualization techniques and the meditation techniques, they really start to impact your game. And I think it was something that probably for the half, half of the time I was at Western, like I, I took that for granted until I, I really saw it develop me and prepare me for situations that maybe I, I wasn't ready for and being able to play those out in my head is was something that really helped me out as my career went on and I still use visualization techniques today like I'm already visualizing what's going to happen um, this week when we're playing in the dome tournament I know this probably goes out after our first game but you know I'm already starting to look at that and what situations are going to come up and and what 
what situations I'm going to have to deal with with our players' mentality and situation-wise offensively. So you believe that the, the visualization um, kind of trumped the meditation as, as far as helping you out more? Yeah, I was always a big believer in, in visualizing myself having success and making those visual, visualization techniques as detailed as possible. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's – tell you what, it's, it's such a big part of the game. It's kind of like when you stand in, like just stand in um, – um, when a pitcher is throwing a bullpen or something like that, you see the pitches coming in so, so clearly, and it, and it's so it seems like man, I could crush all of these. And then once it's game, that same pitcher on the mound is throwing, and everything just seems so much sped. So it speeds up so much, and it's not because the pitcher's doing much different. It's just because your mind is now racing, and everything's going so much faster versus when you're just standing in and nice and relaxed. Um, and there's no, there's no threat at all, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does hundred percent. I think a lot of the times when you stand in on bullpens or something like a lot of people, they're not even going through like their loading phase at full speed and their stride at full speed. It's kind of like a 50% effort towards that. So obviously when you're doing less, it's going to be a lot easier to, to track and see and pick up location. When we do that, we challenge our girls to call out yes or no about when the ball's halfway home. Um, it just adds a little bit more intent into the drill and a little bit more focus. And this year, actually, we've been having them call out pitch type before it reaches the catcher. So are they able to pick up spin? Are they able to pick up location before the ball reaches halfway home? Um, and that just adds a little bit more intent into the drill that allows their mind to get a little bit more frantic for a little bit and have them have to push through that and focus a little bit more where we've seen a lot of our girls struggle early and then as the day goes on and the weeks go on like they get better at better at picking up spin and, and finding different tendencies for pitchers what do you think about um players using journals right especially at the college level i assume you would face a pitcher more than one time um and so going back to like having like writing notes about what you saw the first time you faced the pitcher or how your swing felt that day or how well you were picking up the ball, um, that sort of a thing. I, I feel like that would help a lot. Oh yeah. I think, I think a hitter should keep a journal through all aspects of training and games, especially in softball where you'll see a pitcher Friday and then you might see him again Sunday. That's you might right, see him again right, Saturday. Yeah. So you might have seven, eight at bats off of one pitcher in a weekend. So that's something where I think the more, kids can start to journal and start to say okay this is how this pitcher threw me then they have a they have a better chance the next time they step in um and, and we we want all of our kids to understand everything about their swing i always tell them like i'm more of a hitting mentor and you're the hitting coach that's that's how i want it to be perceived is that when you step in the box you can correct yourself you know what external focus is to focus on you know what mechanics that you might have to to warm up with before when you're on deck you know how to be on time with everything from a high velocity pitcher to a changeup thrower um because if, if we're in the dugout and we're having to remind you how to do everything our adjustability isn't fast enough so I think when kids can keep a journal and, you know, write down the things that worked on certain days, the things that they were thinking about on certain days, the way pitchers were attacking them, that allows them to add to that toolbox that all coaches are always talking about 
um, add more clubs to their bag that they can whip out and, and be successful in the next time that situation presents itself. Yeah, I remember listening to uh, Franz Bosch talk one time, and and he was he said, uh, you know, air correction is the athlete's job. So kind of really just um, reiterating what you literally just said, talking about how it's it's their job to make the corrections. You know, you can you need to kind of supply them with the guidance and everything, but at the end of the day, it's them who's who has to go out there and compete because. Look, like your swing's not going to feel the same every day. There's going to be some days you physically don't feel feel good. There's going to be some days you don't pick up the ball well. So there, there's different things that do change regularly. So I do like the fact that um, you kind of putting the putting the power in the in the players' hands. How do you how do you go about um, kind of working with them and getting them to understand their own swing because. I, I do think we are in a little bit of an information overload um, for hitters. Um, I definitely see that um, working with some of the players that I, I've worked with uh, just privately is, is there's just there's so much information out there that they need to just understand. Like you, you, at some point, you just you have to compete. Like you're you you can always find something wrong with your mechanics, but you have to find a way to consistently compete in the box. Right. hundred percent. And I think that was one of the best things that Robin ever told us was swings are like snowflakes. Like no two are never, ever the same. Like that perfect swing that people are always training for. Like you might use that once in your career because there's so many aspects and we see it with the data. It's like how many different numbers and variables there are that go into one batted ball. So to think that you can replicate the same swing over and over and over again in a live setting is just you can't there's you know it could be an inch that you caught it different out front or deep or you might have caught it a centimeter higher on the ball than you did the last time or your timing might have just been a variable off the pitcher might be throwing half a mile an hour slower on that ball there's so many variables that I think when you're when you're talking about training and learning your swing I think the constraint-led approach combined with the data has really taught our players and our girls like what goes into the swing and, and how do I know when I need to to explore other options and try different things and I think we always tell them like go to the edge and try something like if you're a no strike kid try a leg kick because you never know it might be something that that might work for this one situation it might work when you're sitting on a changeup. it might work when you're um having somebody that likes to throw inside but you'll never know that unless you try so we always tell them like go play on the edge and then if you fall off, then just climb right back up and try something different. Do you worry that your players uh, hit too much? Uh, no. I think we've done a pretty good job of making our our hitting sessions very intentful, very focused, very energized, but not overworking our girls. So our kids hit about, what is it, 8, 16, about 25 minutes a day. Um, half of that time is spent, well, a third of that time spent on T and front toss work. And then the other two thirds is spent at game speed using machines and using live balls and, and real bats and getting after it. Yeah, that seems like a, a, a really good amount. I guess I brought that up just because I, I helped coach out of high school here. And I know some of the kids, you know, we hit for an hour and then after, um, after we're done, I, I, uh, some kids go and hit with somebody else for another hour and it's 
Like, and then before you know it, they're starting to have back problems. It's just, it's too much. And I think at a certain point you need to, um, you know, you can swing your way into a slump and you also got to understand too, is we're playing, we, we were playing the long game. You know, the season's long, you're playing a lot of games. Yep. Like you want to be fresh. You want your swing to be fresh, you know, a month, two months down the road versus, um, you know, having a football mentality where you're just training to play one day a week. Right. And, and I think with that too, like those kids that go and, and hit again, they might spend a half hour on T and mechanic work and then another 20 minutes on front toss work. And, you know, like I could step in the cage right now and hit off a T and hit off front toss and, and mash balls out of the ballpark and, and get all my metrics where I want them. But you put me in a live machine where I have to make decisions like I'm beat, like no chance, like I'm going to lose every single time just because I haven't trained that side where, and I haven't trained at full speed. I haven't, I haven't been able to sit at 43, 43 feet at 65 miles an hour and be able to put a bat on a ball consistently and hit it hard and elevate it. So that's where I think most of our focus is, is, is we're very dialed in on intent and focus at game speed with mental decisions being made every single swing. Earlier, you were talking about how uh, Robin Lund was with you guys last year, and I know him being at uh, University of Iowa now. They they uh, do a lot of they do a lot of everything. I mean, they pretty much uh, there's not one thing that they don't really cover. But one of the things that he talked about when he was on the show was uh, working on swing decisions, pitch recognition, doing some video. Do you guys have you guys implemented any of that um, from when he was there? Yeah. Um... So every single day, our girls face what we call the onion. So the onion's a, a pitcher simulated machine. Um, it's got randomizers. So so we'll set different pitchers, whether it's we'll call it like Sophie is someone who's going to throw a little bit slow for, slower and with a changeup. We have Velma who's going to be a little bit more velocity with an up in the zone kid, and they go in and they basically take at bats off of them and and they'll give us kind of what their plan is and. They'll say, I'm hitting the outside pitch or I'm hitting the changeup, and we'll track it. Like, one, did you swing at your pitch? And then when you swung at it, did you make contact? Um, and then we'll track good decisions, bad decisions. And then were you chasing rise balls? Were you chasing changeups? So we track all that, and, you know, it gives us a good good data on, like, okay, when we're facing velocity pitchers, 65 to 70 with, with rise balls, like, who, which of our kids can – get off their best swing and make contact the most. And then when we're facing slower kids who maybe throw changeups, like who hits the changeup the best, who's on time, who makes good decisions and inside and outside. And the reason we name the pitching machine like that is so that when we go into a game, like we can tell our kids, like we're, we're facing Sophie today. We're so facing Ewa East and West. So she's going to throw in and out. We're facing Oda or Ingrid. So they can correlate um, what type of pitcher that was back to their training and know the tools that they have to implement for that day. So if it's someone who hits changeups really well, will you tell them, Hey, I want you going up there looking for a changeup. Uh, I never force anybody to do anything. Uh, I'll give them what I see. I'll say, you know, I've noticed that this kid, every time she gets the one, one throws a changeup. And from there I kind of let them decide. Cause a lot of the times I've figured out that if I force somebody to do something, the confidence isn't going to be there. Um, but if they convince themselves to do it, 
one, they have a lot more confidence in it. They want to do it. And then when they succeed, like they grow even more because it was them who came to the conclusion and found the answer rather than, you know, coach Reimer told us, told me to. Yeah. That I, I understand. You're just, you're supplying them with the best, with the best tools and, and to help prepare them the best. And then they make um, the decision. What, what do you uh, like as a coach during the actual game with your hitters? Focus, focus and intent. Those are, those are two words that we, we go by all the time. Like, are you focused? You know, when she starts to throw her bullpen, like, are you focused on timing? Are you focused on where she's missing or what pitches she throws most often? What's her best movement? Like, and then when you're in the dugout, like, are you focused on what pitch does she go to when there's a runner in scoring position? What, what does she throw when she's walked two people in a row? What does she throw when she's at two strikes? What's her out pitch? Are you focused on that? And then when you go to the plate, do you have intent to do damage, to elevate the ball and hit it hard? Um, and then are you confident at the plate? And those are, those are what we're looking for in our players every single time is focus and intent. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I definitely think that um, intent sometimes gets a bad rap because everyone thinks it's just – throw as hard as you can and hit as hard as you can, but you can have intent with pretty much anything you do, whether it be, um, you know, bunning for whatnot. Speaking of bunning, do you, does your team bun at all? Oh, uh, we do. Um, we were just looking back and I think 1600 plate appearances last year, we had 11 bunts. So we like to swing. We like to hit. What about, um, like out of those 11 bunts, how many were successful? Uh, I think we had a total of five sacrifices that were successful and then two drag bunts that were successful. So I take it so your team doesn't practice that very often? Uh, we practice it and we, you know, we do our situational practices and hit and run, slash hit and run, bunting. But it's not like every single day when you step in the cage you're going to bunt 25, 30 balls. I think we look at it as, okay, we bunted about – one percent of the time last year when we went to the plate so that's about the allotment of time we should spend in practice um we always tell our girls it's not something we're going to focus on heavily in practice but we're going to be able to do it we're going to be able to do it well because it might only be one or two situations this year where the game counts on it and when the the situation calls for that like are you able to give us the best chance to win and sometimes a bunt is what gives us the best chance to win and it is the lack of bunning um, is that widespread in softball? I think it, it kind of goes from program to program and how your team's built. Um, speed is a big impact in softball, and you're going to see some of the faster teams bunt and drag bunt and slap a little bit more than you will, you know, some of the big time power schools that are going to stand in there and swing away. Um, like I think Wisconsin last year in the the regionals, they had a game where. They just weren't swinging it very well, and they won the game on a suicide squeeze. So I think no matter what, you can't lose focus on small ball. Um, but you all, you have to know like what's your culture of your program and be able to do whatever makes your team successful and know your personnel and know the kids that are in the lineup and and when to use this this tool versus you know a power swing. When do you go up and and try and blast the ball at the ballpark, or when do you sacrifice bunt? Yeah, I just I, I asked it. I just wasn't sure um, because of how you know, the bases are a lot closer to home plate, so the infielders are closer too. I didn't know if that had something to do with 
the lack of bunting just because there's not as much margin for error. Yeah, and I think you got to have your savvy kids just like you do in baseball, you know, that look at the infielders and, you know, you just hit a bomb and they back up and then you go ahead and drop one down and, and bust it down the line. I think that's always going to be the biggest thing. You know, you don't have to be the fastest kid to bunt. You just got to be the smartest and the most well-placed. Um, what what would you say uh, your long-term goals are? Is it to stay in softball, baseball? Like, what do you stay exactly where you're at? Like, what do you, what do you want to do? I love where I'm at right now. Um, the University of Northern Iowa has been a a big piece of my life. Obviously, I didn't get the chance to play baseball here. Um, the program was cut before I was I was in college, but my uncle played baseball here. My aunt played basketball there, and like I said, my sister played softball here. So. For me, I love what I do. Um, for me right now, my goal is to learn as much as I can about hitting and the analytics as well as coaching it. I think that's the thing that gets lost in the analytic talk on Twitter and throughout coaches is that the analytics piece is doing all the coaching. But I think I think it's really the combination of presenting the numbers, knowing the numbers, and then coaching the players to – achieve the numbers that they want to achieve and i think that's what the constraint led approach is is allowing coaches to do is use the numbers as a a guideline and a tool and if you're doing a good job making sure that you're not putting kids in one silo and you're you're filtering them out into a bunch of different groups on what they're capable of doing then the numbers will make a lot more sense and you can you can focus your training on making sure that each individual kid is doing what they need to for their for their ability Awesome. JJ, really appreciate you uh, you coming on today, man. No problem. I appreciate you, you giving the time for me to, to come on and speak to you. 